Numbers 25. And you're also going to do Psalm 106. We'll be reading. Do you want me to read the whole chapter, Paul? To verse 15. Numbers 25. We'll read verses 1 through 15. Starting in verse 1. Now Israel remained in Acacia Grove, and the people began to commit harlotry with the women of Moab. They invited the people to the sacrifices of their gods, and the people ate and bowed down to their gods. So Israel was joined to Baal of Peor, and the anger of the Lord was aroused against Israel. Then the Lord said to Moses, Take all the leaders of the people and hang the offenders before the Lord out in the sun, that the fierce anger of the Lord may turn away from Israel. So Moses said to the judges of Israel, Every one of you kill his men who were joined to Baal of Peor. And indeed, one of the children of Israel came and presented to his brethren a Midianite woman in the sight of Moses and in the sight of all the congregation of the children of Israel who were weeping at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. Now when Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron the priest, saw it, he rose from among the congregation and took a javelin in his hand. And he went after the man of Israel into the tent and thrust both of them through, the man of Israel and the woman through her body. So the plague was stopped among the children of Israel. And those who died in the plague were 24,000. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron the priest, has turned back my wrath from the children of Israel, because he was zealous with my zeal among them, so that I did not consume the children of Israel in my zeal. Therefore say, Behold, I give to him my covenant of peace, and it shall be to him and his descendants after him a covenant of an everlasting priesthood, because he was zealous for his God and made atonement for the children of Israel. Now the name of the Israelite who was killed, who was killed with the Midianite woman, was Zimri, the son of Salu, a leader of a father's house among the Simeonites. And the name of the Midianite woman who was killed was Cosby, the daughter of Zur. He was head of the people of a father's house in Midian. Dear Lord, we pray and ask you for your zeal, that you would bless us with your zeal and that we would have boldness to be zealous. I pray that you would use this time to encourage us to be zealous for you. I pray that as Paul comes and and opens up this scripture and others to us that you would give him your zeal in preaching your word and that as he burns with your zeal that we would all catch fire. So use this time, Lord, for your glory and lift your people, Lord, and use us for your glory. So give us heads to hear, and hearts to receive what you've got for us today. And use your servant Paul again for your glory, Lord. In Jesus' name.
Amen. So last week we looked at the golden calf, didn't we? And we saw there that the when, when Moses was up in the mountain getting the Ten Commandments and all of the other things uh, from God, that the people, after a, a short time, thought, well, we don't know what's happened to Moses. He's disappeared up in uh, the cloud up on that mountain and maybe he's died or you know whatever has happened to him we're not sure so we need a leader we uh we need um a visible representation of god not as if the fiery mountain wasn't visible enough for them and um so they persuaded aaron to make a golden calf and they worshiped the golden calf and then at first you know the sacrifices were sacrifices to supposedly to the true God, as represented by the golden calf, but it very quickly turned into license and into, you know, they were partying and and uh, doing all kinds of licentious things before God. So that's the, um, that's the golden calf incident. That's in Exodus Now we're in the book of Numbers, so we've jumped a little bit here. But the people are just the same. In fact, throughout the book of Numbers, we read about the complaints of the children of Israel, complaining about um, the food. You know, oh, we wish we had access to all of the food that was back in Egypt, for example. You know, what God has given us, this this angel's food, this manna from heaven, and, uh, you know, the, the meat that we've got, it's just, uh, just not enough, you know. It's not good enough for us. Same old, same old. And then trudging through this wilderness, even though they're on the way to the promised land, uh, we're just, uh, it's not, it's just not fun, this, this existence. And then, you know, they run out of water because God tests them and they complain about the water and they complain about Moses and they complain about all kinds of things. In fact, the book of Numbers is a book about complaints. And after a while, you kind of get sick about reading it, you know? It's like, come on. But that is what the children of Israel were like. These were the people delivered with a strong hand through the Red Sea by God. They'd been brought to the mountain of God. They had heard the voice of God. They had seen the mountain quake. You would have thought that would be enough for them to remind them, okay, this God is the true God and we're going to follow him and we're going to serve him. And he even made it easy to for uh, them to follow him, I mean physically, literally, because he had a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night which went in front of the camp. So they knew which way to go. And for their protection, that pillar stood over the camp. You talk about a supernatural sign. You know, people say, well, give me a sign that God exists. 
Well, these people have plenty of signs that God exists. But it didn't change their hearts. This is one of the things that Scripture um, points to on numerous occasions. We think if God would just do something, just prove himself a little bit here or there, it'd be easy to believe, you know, why would we need this faith? Why would it be so difficult? And, uh, you know, why is he just a bit more reasonable and let us see a manifestation of his power? As if all that we need to believe in God is just to see a miracle. Or if Jesus would appear in front of me right now, I'll believe. No, you wouldn't. Jesus went about healing people, raising people from the dead, casting out demons from people, doing all kinds of miraculous things, and they crucified him. How can that be? How can that be? The answer is simple, but it's also not not very palatable. We are sinners. We do not like the righteousness of God. We do not like the fact that God is the creator. He is the one that says what is going to be uh, acceptable, what is true, what is right, and what is unacceptable and wrong. We either get in line with him or we don't. And sin makes it much easier for us to stay out of line with God. It makes it much easier to do wrong, to think wrong, than it is to agree with what God says. Every one of us, as hard as it might be, to understand this, every one of us has the same wicked heart as the people that were involved in this sin in Numbers 25 or in the golden calf incident. The heart really is desperately wicked. Jesus had to say to his own disciples, who he chose, he said, if you therefore, being evil, know how to give good gifts to those that you love, how much more does God know how to give the Holy Spirit to those that ask him? What's that? What's that, Jesus? Did you just call me evil? Yes, because Jesus knows about our hearts. And we paper over it because, you know, of of convention or because, uh, you know, it's not a good idea to to, uh, flagrantly sin in front of other people. There are certain controls on this, but occasionally in our culture, and more and more, in fact, in the modern day, we see that people are willing to go to all kinds of excesses to actually show what's hidden in their deepest characters. We are living in a day when um, 
not only are, is it okay to, uh, for a 10-year-old, 12-year-old, 13-year-old to decide forever to have their sexual organs cut off without um, help or feeling that 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 is wrong or or without having any counseling. But we are being told that it is actually wrong to counsel them. It is wrong to dissuade them. I saw a figure, um, I think last week, of uh, young girls who have had their breasts cut off. I'm sorry if it's, this is difficult to hear, but this is the society that we're living in. I've had these sexual surgeries, these transition surgeries done to them, and then they've grown up into 18, 19, 20-year-olds. You, you can't reverse what's happened to them. You can't reverse the mutilation. Do you know what the suicide rate is? Have you any idea what the suicide rate is? No, because the mainstream media won't tell you. It's nearly 50%. We have the, we're in Pride Month. Are we still in Pride Month? We have little kids being taken by their parents to see drag queens perform in front of them. We have a movement and it is around the corner, folks. It is around the corner. Pedophilia is around the corner. Our society is moving that way. This is the society we are living in. It's as bad as Numbers 25. You have to understand this. You have to understand the severity of this, the destruction of this, not just to the individuals, but to those that are impacted, the ones that love them, the ones that care for them, and then on and on generations uh, down the line. It's over against that um, that culture and that background that we can understand what's going on here, and we can understand what God, why God responded in the way that He did. This episode, it's the episode that's known several times over in Scripture as the episode of Baal Peor. Baal is the God, okay? Peor is the place. It's close to the borders of Israel in modern day, in Moab, which is modern-day Jordan, okay? So that's where they are. So they've come most of the way in the Exodus journey. In the preceding chapters, I, I didn't go through them, but you have... The king of the Moabites, Balak, hires Balaam 
to curse the Israelites as they're traveling through his land. Balaam was well known in the ancient world. There are, um, there are uh, inscribed stones that speak about him. These people, yes, they were superstitious, but they weren't stupid. Which means that uh, Balak is not going to hire a person who is a fraud. He's going to hire somebody who has a proven track record. Balaam was hired to curse Israel because he had cursed other people and something had happened to them. I had friends from South Africa who uh, had a particular person from South Africa who uh, um, <clears throat> once he was, uh, he was diving with a friend in a pool. The friend never came up out of the pond, out of the pool. The friend's uh, mother was a witch doctor who cursed him. And ever since that time, this person would see representations of either his friend or some other person looking at them. I had uh, a um, person that uh, I was close with in England who was from Ghana. And she told me that when a witch doctor cursed somebody, that they would sit down and die. We have our scientific mindset over here. You know, we have tried to kind of push that reality out from our worldview. It's starting to come back into our worldviews, though, isn't it? Okay? Starting to push back in. Folks, the world that we live in, okay, is not an anesthetized little black box where the supernatural things and powers can be left outside. No, the reality is that there are great powers of evil and some people have contact with those powers. Balaam was one of them. And Balaam was hired to curse Israel. Do you know the story of Balaam? What happened when he tried to curse Israel? God put a blessing in his mouth. So he actually ended up blessing Israel and, and uh, Balaam got very inf infuriated with him. What you don't know from reading these chapters, and you don't know until you get actually to chapter 31 of the book of Numbers, is that Balaam gave up on trying to curse Israel because every time he did a blessing came out and instead he cooked up a way to pollute Israel in their worship and he did it through sex he did it through pagan rites and worship and partying and revelry 
And so he goes down in history as uh, one who corrupted the people of Israel in this way. The book of Revelation, the last book in the Bible, says in verse 14, I have a few things against you because you have there those who hold the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the children of Israel to eat things sacrificed to idols and to commit sexual immorality. That's what is going on here in Numbers 25. But it's an, it's, uh, an astonishing passage, really. It's the kind of passage that uh, you don't normally get preached about, you know, preached on. It's certainly not very positive, although there is a positive aspect that comes out of it. But this, it would be absolutely remiss of me to go through the main covenantal uh, <clears throat> aspects of, of the whole Bible in our journey through Scripture and not talk about this. Because this is the nadir. This is the worst thing that Israel did in their history. <clears throat> this is worse than the golden calf incident. They had been blessed by God. They'd even been blessed by God through this false prophet in the previous chapters. And then what happens? They decided to accept the invitation of the Moabites. Look at verse 2. They invited the people to the sacrifices of their gods. Come over. Come, come. let's be friends. Come over and, and, and uh, enjoy the, the festival that we're having. And the people ate, and I'm sure they drank, and bowed down to their gods. So Israel, it says, was joined to Baal of Peor, and the anger of the Lord was aroused against them. Now, uh, in the narrative here, the, the author words, Moses, <laughs> is careful. He doesn't go into a great deal of detail, but he does point out one particular uh, thing that was happening. But we get the point. The basic idea here is, here is that people completely left the covenant that God had agreed with them that through Moses at Sinai. And all of those uh, uh, commandments for purity and not committing adultery and, and so on, not committing idolatry, and they went full on into the pagan rites of the day. Now, the pagan rites of the day, and this has always been the case, they involved the worship of nature. Baal was the rain god, the god of fertility. Okay, so connecting with rain with, with uh, fertility, which is why you get the uh, connection of uh, sexual acts with worship. Do you see? Because they believed there was a continuity between uh, what they did uh, in their actions and what their God would do in response. All paganism does that, by the way. All paganism does that. Modern day Wicca does that, okay? I'm not saying they go into that, uh, those excesses, but it's the same idea, 
Okay? What you do down here affects what happens up there. There's a connection, a continuity, which is why they do these, this magic, these manipulations, and so on and so forth. Nothing's changed in 3,500 years and more. Human beings are the same. Their hearts are the same. And so Israel turns away from God, turns away from all of his miracles, turns away from his covenant, turns away from the pillar of fire that they could see and goes and parties. This was nothing less, therefore, than the complete or at least was close to the, the complete corruption of God's special people. Satan once again thought that he had put one over on God. <clears throat> Let's read on because... Um, a particular incident here is brought up as an, uh, kind of an indication of what was going on here. Then, verse 4, the Lord said to Moses, take all the leaders of the people and hang the offenders before the Lord out in the sun that the fierce anger of the Lord may turn away from Israel. Actually, we'll get back to that in a second. <clears throat> but uh, verse 6 tells us of, uh, of uh, th- this incident. Indeed, one of the children of Israel came and presented to his brethren a Midianite woman. Now, not a Moabitess. She's a Midianite. But you see that these people mixed with each other. In the sight of Moses and in the sight of all the congregation of the children of Israel who were weeping at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. Now, what was going on? This was at the tabernacle of meeting. This was at the tabernacle that had been built by Moses and the priests as the the meeting house with God, with Jehovah, yes? So Moses is is there and the elders are there. And this individual, he's named as Zimri later on, He brings this woman. She's not just any woman, by the way. We're told in verse 15 that she is the daughter of the head of the clan, which probably means she's a priestess, a high priestess of Baal, and brings her right to the door of the tabernacle. This is where this happens, in front of everyone and indulges in this licentious act. You see, it had got so far that the vast majority of the Israelites were involved in this, you see, and they thought, well, Moses, you know, what's he going to do about this? Okay, The, the whole impetus was to just indulge in this excess. They'd already started worshipping these false gods. They had been seduced by these women. They were having a good time. They were partying. 
And so one of them, as there's always somebody, there's always one person who just steps out and dares things to go in the worst possible direction. Dares for those, you know, goody good people to, you know, just do something about this. Well, you're too scared to do anything about this. I'm going to do what I want. I'm going to show you that you're irrelevant now. This is what we want to do. And so he brings this high priestess to the tent of meeting. And, um, well, you can understand what went on. That's the severity of the transgression. Context, the plagues of Egypt, the exodus through the Red Sea, so the miraculous passing of the Red Sea by God, and then going through on dry ground, the miraculous provision of food as they went across the wilderness and water, the pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire, the voice of God at Mount Sinai, Many, many impressive miracles. And this is the response. This is the human heart. When it lets go of God and it grasps an idea that is presented to it, We need to consider this. We need to consider this in ourselves. And then we need to understand, oh, I see why Jesus had to die for us. I see why somebody had to take my place if I was ever going to be forgiven by God. I see how someone needed to take my sin upon them because that is the depth of the wickedness of my heart. That God was willing to do what was necessary to forgive us and to be just in forgiving us because he's not going to corrupt his justice by sending his son into the world to die in our place. It should stop us in our tracks. It should tell us about what kind of a loving God this is, what kind of a humble God he really is. We should be willing to do anything for such a God who has wiped away or will wipe away all of our sins, all of our transgressions. I remember the woman at the well. Do you remember that in John chapter 4? She had five husbands, and the, woman, and the man that she was with wasn't her husband. And what did Jesus do? As she confessed, he forgave her. God wants to forgive us our sins, our transgressions. doesn't matter what we've done. He wants to forgive us of those things. 
and he's made a way to do it. But we have got to understand the plague of our own hearts. Otherwise, we're going to consider the cross of Christ as a cheap thing. Why did God need to do that? Well, I'm not that bad. We need to examine the wickedness of our own hearts. So, moving from the severity of the transgression, let's look quickly at the severity of the punishment. It does seem to us that this punishment was too severe. Go and get the leaders of the people, kill them, hang them up in front of everybody. Well, that's a bit, I mean, drastic, isn't it? Dramatic? Well, we are, we're here, we're talking, of course, about the corruption of a whole people and their history. These Canaanites, okay, they didn't just in, indulge in orgies, they indulged in child sacrifice. They indulged in all kinds of Horrendous activities. What if God had left them alone? Then Israel would have been a nation just like the other nations that got involved in child sacrifices and other things. In fact, there was a period in their history that they did go do that. How much suffering would have gone on if God had not drawn a line here? Very, very clearly for everyone to see. These leaders that indulged this and that led the way for Israel, they were to be killed. God is the author of life and God is the only one who has the right to take life. And God ordered these people to be killed and made an example of. Well, I bet when these people turned and they saw these bodies hanging up, it may have made them think twice, do you think? About what they were doing, about the consequences of their actions. You say, but yes, why, but why this? Why did, why do it that way? Why be that gruesome? Because in making a covenant with God, what you did is that, well, generally speaking, is that you would sacrifice an animal and you would cut it up and you would generally walk through it as a sign that what, if, you know, if if I break my words of this oath, let what's happened to these animals happen to me. And so what God was doing there was saying, okay, well, They've broken the words of the covenant. This is what has happened to them. A a remembrance of the covenant, do you see? And all the things that the covenant stood for. More than that, verse 5 says, Moses said to the judges of Israel, every one of you kill his men who are joined to Baal of Peor. I mean, this is, this is, Intense stuff. And then we read about this 
this man who brings in, in the sight of Moses, verse 6. Do you see that? In the sight of Moses. Brings in this Midianite woman. Who's going to do anything? Who's going to, to, to take some action here? Are we just going to let it go? And it stops here. God's involvement with Israel stops right here. And the devil wins the day. Phineas, who is the grandson of Aaron, has had enough. He grabs a javelin and he goes into that tent and he thrusts them through. That's verses 7 and 8. And it says at the end of verse 8, so the plague was stopped among the children of Israel. You see, God had sent a plague out. And 24,000 people had died. The zeal of one man who was saying, this is not going to happen. To a God that we're in covenant with. To a God who has done all of these things to us. To a God who is the true God. This is not going to happen. He's a priest. And he's going to represent God against this wickedness. What did God do? Did he indict him for murder of two people? Now, God praised him. God praised him. Because Phineas was concerned with the holiness of God, with the righteousness of God, with the covenant of God, with the purity of the people. He did not want evil to continue. And so he took this action. And God was so pleased with him that out of the blue, God makes a covenant with him. Now this series about, is about the covenants of God. And this is a covenant that often gets missed. But it's an important covenant. Let's have a look at it. Verse 10. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the priest, has turned back my wrath from the children of Israel because he was zealous with my zeal among them so that I did not consume the children of Israel in my zeal. You see, God would have destroyed these people. Therefore say, behold, I give to him my covenant of peace. God makes a covenant with him. Did Phineas know that God was going to make a covenant with him? No. This is something that comes from God. Verse 13 says, It shall be to him and his descendants after him a covenant of an everlasting priesthood because he was zealous for his God and made atonement for the children of Israel. 
a covenant with the descendants of Phineas of an everlasting priesthood. Well, that puts the cat among the pigeons, doesn't it? Because Phineas is a Levite, and Levites were to officiate at the tabernacle and then from David or Solomon's day onwards at the temple. Israel does not have a temple now, does it? Hasn't had a temple since AD 70 when the Romans knocked it down. What are we to say here, therefore? That this covenant, which is from God, Phineas didn't say, oh, okay, I'll, I'll sign the, you know, with a dotted line here. It, Phineas didn't do anything. This was all from God. Are we to say that this covenant has been forgotten by God? I mean, it's been 2,000 years since Israel's had a temple. And 2,000 years ago, the Son of God himself came and died as the Lamb of God who took away the sin of the world. So why do we need temple sacrifices anymore anyway? Doesn't the book of Hebrews deal with that? Well, we'll get to that. We've studied it when we did Hebrews, but we'll come back to it. The fact of the matter is, folks, when God makes an everlasting priesthood uh, covenant, sorry, with, with the descendants of Phineas, God means what he says. His oaths are ironclad, and this means that at some future day, a temple is going to be built in Israel, and the descendants of Phineas will officiate in it. They even get musical backup to to that. It's so important. It is essential that we understand that God means what he says, and when he makes a covenant, he especially means what he says, even if it kind of interrupts our theologies, even if we can't quite fit it into our understanding of the way God's going to do things. That's okay, because our understanding of the way God's going to do things is limited to our finite brains, okay? God is not limited by a finite brain. He's got it all sorted out. We know from the book of Ezekiel, for example, yes, that weird book, from chapters 40 through 48, there's a description of a huge temple in a glorious paradise, this temple is on Mount Zion, but it's, uh, it's uh, in Israel, and it's far too big to be on present Mount Zion. This temple's enormous. And in it officiate the Zadokites. They are the ones who can approach God. Guess who the Zadokites are? The Zadokites are descendants of, say it with me, Phineas. Now, that temple hasn't been built yet, but it will be. How do we know that it's been built, other than the fact that Ezekiel tells us? How do we know that it's going to be built? Because there is a covenant made by God that the descendants of Phineas will always officiate in front of him, before him. That means you can't spiritualize Ezekiel's temple, folks, like so many people do. 
In Jeremiah 33, the, uh, the Lord says that he will never, he says, if you can black out, if you can get rid of the ordinances of heaven, sun, moon, stars, and everything, then my covenants with David and with the Levites to, uh, will be also eradicated. Well, I don't think any of us can get rid of the sun, moon, and stars. In Malachi chapter 3, God says that he will come, and the context is the second coming of Christ, and he will purify the sons of Levi so that they can officiate in front of him. Well, were they purified in Jesus' day? I think the answer is no, by the way. Okay, But they will be so that they can officiate. God here makes a covenant of peace with Phineas and his descendants. His descendants are the Zadokites who will officiate in the end times temple of Ezekiel which means that we can expect when Christ returns a temple will be built in Jerusalem and the Levites and the descendants of Phineas will officiate there. You say, well, how do you make sense of that? That's for another sermon. That's for another time. For right now, my attention or our attention should be on the fact that God has made an oath that he's going to do this and therefore our business is to believe what God has sworn to do. My job here, okay, is not to preach the word of God that I wish God had said or that you want to hear It's to preach what God did say. It means that there are some questions that will be unanswered until the kingdom comes. That has to be okay with me and it has to be okay with you. Time doesn't stop when Jesus comes back. No, 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 no. Time starts, really. Yes? This old earth... Is utterly transformed and beautified and glorified. And in it, Jesus reigns as king in Zion. And in that same Zion, there is a beautiful temple on a mountain. And the sons of Levi, the sons of Phinehas will officiate there. Satan's Uh, attempts to disrupt the plan of God and the people of God will always fail, even though they seem sometimes to be succeeding. God at some point will intervene. Our job as the people of God, the church for today, is to make sure that we do not allow the culture to enter the church and corrupt our worship 
and, and dictate to us what God can say and what he can't say. Always what we do here must be directed by the word of God. And we, go, we come in and we go out with our minds furnished with what God says. We don't have miracles anymore that we can point to. And yes, God does do miracles, but generally we don't see them. But we don't have clouds of fire following us around, do we? We don't see uh, seas parted. We don't get miraculous supplies of food dropping from the sky. But it's the same God. It's your God. And he means what he says. And when he says to you that if you trust in Jesus as your Savior, your wicked heart, a heart as wicked as any of the people here in the book of Numbers, and its transgressions and its sins will be forgiven. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we pray to you and we confess the plague of our own hearts. Lord, we generally would say that we are not people that want to indulge in wickedness and sin and evil. And that might uh, convince us that our hearts can't be inclined to such things, but they can. Especially, Lord, when culture changes, when our surroundings change, we start to call good that which we used to call evil. Lord, help us always not to be convinced with, with uh, what culture says is right or wrong, but always with what you say is right and wrong. You are the standard, Father. You are the judge. And I pray that anyone here that has not received forgiveness at your hand, Lord, would trust that Jesus on the cross died for their sins, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. I pray that they would receive by faith that forgiveness. Bless us this week. Thank you, Lord, for the fathers represented here. I pray your blessing on them and their families. In the name of Jesus, amen.